Well, we've been talking about uh, the book of Genesis, and we're going to keep talking about the book of Genesis. So this morning we're on Genesis 2. So we made it through the first chapter, everybody. <laughs> we're on Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, and we're looking at, um, it's at the front of your Bibles, you're looking for it. We're looking at the seventh day. So we've gone through kind of the six days of creation. We've gone through the image of God, the creation of man, the creation of all the plants in the earth. And, uh, and today we get to day seven, and it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So this idea that we're working with today, this idea of Sabbath, I know just in our culture, it becomes a bit of a difficult issue for us to, to deal with because we have this mindset, this mentality of, of work, 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 work. It's, it's like seven days is not enough, and I feel the same pressure. It's, you know, you get to, you get to Sunday or Saturday or whatever your kind of Sabbath day is, and you go, man, I wish there was eight days in the week. I wish there was 26 hours in the day. I wish there was more time to do what I need to do. And so I think that as a culture, we are absolutely in a place that needs this message this morning. I think we absolutely need to hear about what it means to enter into God's rest. And so when we look at Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, we see that it's different than a lot of the days that God had uh, spoken into existence previously. In all the other days, uh, we hear God say something. God said, let there be light, and there was light. On the day seven, he does not say, let there be Sabbath, and there was Sabbath, because God is finished with his creative work. So he's not speaking anything else into existence, and that's what Sabbath is all about. When it says that God rested, it means that God ceased from his creative work. He's, he stopped working. And so there, there is no uh, creative word that is spoken into this. There is no morning and evening to indicate the end of this day at the end of the verse. And so there's an idea that this, this day carries on into the future, that God has forever finished his creative work, that he doesn't have to go back to that project and tweak it and make it right. It's not going to, it's not going to need uh, a little bit of another creation. It's not going to need more or something else. He is finished with his creative process. But what it also means is God is still active and involved in redeeming his creation. So he's not creating anything new, but he is still actively involved in redeeming his creation. And we also see that the seventh day is the only day that God blessed and made holy, which is interesting. It says in, in 2.3 that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So there's a few things that this means for us and I think the first that we need to hear is that if God says rest, then we can and should rest. And God does say to rest. So this is a picture of God resting on the seven days. And, and there's, there's talk about how these seven days of creation mirror the sort of uh, ritual temple rites as well. And there's that same sort of uh, cycle to all of this. And, and in Exodus, God says to his people in the in the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So we see that this is a command to his people, to the Israelites who are in exile after they've been working as slaves in Egypt, after they've been going through all of this stuff, God sets up the same pattern for Israel. He sets up this idea that there can be a day when you get to rest in everything that God has created, everything that God has done, we get to stop and appreciate that. We get to, we get to trust that it is enough, and we get to just abide in that. Uh, so as I said, this rest is something that is um, it's ongoing, and the work that God is doing also is still ongoing. Uh, Jesus says in John 5, 17, my father is working until now and I am working. So it's not a complete absence of work. It's not a complete absence of toil. It's, that's still happening, but he's, he's done with the creative process. Um, and so God blesses the seventh day and he makes it holy. He blesses it, which means that he makes that day spiritually fruitful. In the same way that he blessed us to be fruitful and to multiply, when he blesses this day, it's a fruitful day. It produces good fruit. We don't always treat it like that. We don't see rest as a fruitful thing for us or for our lives. I think we often avoid rest or we, we kind of put it off to the side and say we can't afford to rest, but we rob ourselves of the fruitfulness of rest when we do it. It's designed as a day of rest to add joy and satisfaction and fullness to the end of our week. And God also makes that day holy, so he blesses it and he makes it holy. This is the very first thing in the Bible that God hallows. It's the very first thing that God makes holy in the Bible, and it stands out I mean, when it comes to us inside of, of the scriptures, when it comes to us as the fourth commandment, we see that this thing is very important to God, and he's commanding us to also keep it holy. So the question remains, how do we do that? Sabbath is a day to be remembered um, it's a day that we remember our salvation. It's a day that we remember our redemption. Uh, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, you, we get sort of the director's cut of the Ten Commandments, so it's a little bit longer. And God adds, adds this in Deuteronomy 5.15 in the extended edition. He says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of them, out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So what is the connection between their enslavement inside of Egypt and the commandment to remember the Sabbath day? God's doing this because he's saying, remember, abide in this. This is a day to reflect on all that God has done, on the redemption that has been made possible to us, and to, and to sit and appreciate and take this in as, as a good thing, to rest in that. And as a holy day, God gives very grave consequences for neglecting the Sabbath. I think we would be surprised to see how serious God is about this. In Jeremiah 17, he gives the consequence. He says, anybody carrying a load through the city gates on the Sabbath, if, if, they, if they observe the Sabbath on the one hand, uh, they, God promises that they will prosper, and he promises that there will be a king forever on their throne. And that people will come from far and wide to bring their offerings and make their offerings in the temple there. But on the other hand, if they forget that, if they neglect that and they begin to work on the Sabbath, if they begin to, to not set aside, to not make holy the Sabbath day, uh, he says, he will kindle an unquenchable fire against Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. That's a big deal for a Sabbath day. God says he will kindle an unquenchable fire. 
for, for ignoring this, this holy day that he has made. So I don't think that God just arbitrarily makes things holy and commands, them, commands us to do and observe these things. God does this for a reason and for a purpose, and it's always for our, our fullness, for our life, for our good. And, and when we neglect that, we see the natural consequences of that is this, is this destruction. We bring death upon ourselves when we, when we refuse to look back. And God is trying to set apart his people. He's making a covenant, a promise with his people of Israel in the Old Testament and saying, if you will, if you will observe this day, every, imagine every week that they, they would come and they would look back on their deliverance, that they would look back on their redemption that they would look back on the creation that God has made and the goodness that is around them and say, God, what you have created is enough and it is good. To do that every week would keep them close to the Lord, would keep them close to the source of life that they require. And so God does this. This is a gracious threat of death, if you will, that God is imposing. The Sabbath day that bound Israel to God is seen as God's grace to them. It provided them time to remember and celebrate his goodness. God was liberating his people from the tyranny and the restless toil of going on without a Sabbath. They're the only people that are commanded to observe a Sabbath day. They're the only ones in their culture that are doing this thing. And God is saying, do it. And I want to save you from this this endless, restless cycle of work, 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 work all the time. Um, I was reading a book that the Atkinsons gave us to the the boys there the other day, to, to Dalen rather, and it's uh, Geronimo Stilton. He's a rat. And uh, we've been enjoying these books. And this one was on Christmas. And so he's, he's like, he's working in, inside of this little uh, newspaper thing. So he's the publisher there. And he's, he's trying to get all this stuff done around Christmas time. And his granddad, who's like the original owner of this place, comes. And he's like, you better not be going home and having parties and playing around and goofing off. You got this business to run. And if you don't run it well, I'm going to take it away from you. And so he's like, he's in this like stress mode of trying to get all this stuff done. And he's got papers right, and eventually on Christmas Eve, he falls asleep, and he has this sort of, whatever, Christmas dream, but the point is that he's allowing all of these external pressures, he's allowing all of the, like, expectations of other people are just driving him on and on and on into this restless thing, and this is what God is saying, don't do that, that's death, it's not life, it's not going to be good for you, he wants to rescue Israel from that, And, and I really, I came across this verse in Isaiah 51, And I love it. It says this, Isaiah 51, verses 12 to 16. God says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction? For where is the wrath of the oppressor? The cowering prisoners will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that, it waves, so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who say to Zion, you are my people. This is what God is reminding them of through the Sabbath observance. This is what he's bringing them back into a collective memory, and he's offering this to us as well, that we would look to him and say, God, you are he who comforts me. You are the one who comforts me, who 
because of you, I don't have to fear mere mortals. I don't have to fear the sort of tyranny of the work week. I, I have purpose. I have meaning. I have a life before me. And I have the opportunity and invitation, the very real invitation to enter into rest and not feel this sort of guilty, nagging conscience about all the work that's not been done yet. I can, I can enter into that rest because of who God is and what he's done. And that's a big deal. And it matters for us today because Hebrews tells us that the promise of entering his rest still stands. In Hebrews 4, verses 9 to 11, it says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He's talking, the author's talking about the Israelites who went on in disobedience, who wandered on and on in the desert. Because there are verses in the Bible where literally they are, their, their city is burned down with an unquenchable fire. That happens. It happens to the Israelites. That's a big deal, right? And so he's saying they, because of their disobedience, they, did not, they were not able to enter into that rest. But the promise to be able to enter that rest still stands for us. So he says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. So this is a warning to us against disbelief. It's a, it's a warning to us against disobedience to God's command to keep the Sabbath day holy. They were unable to enter the rest, and we also can become unable to enter the rest when we refuse to observe this day. We also refuse to enter into the promise and the covenant that God has for us to be able to be reminded. So a lot of times, I mean, the Sabbath day technically would be a Saturday because Sunday is the beginning of the week, and so it's the seventh day of the week is Saturday. So technically that's a Saturday. There's a lot of talk in the New Testament about how this day shifts around. It's not so important as it turns out which day in particular, but make no mistake, it is important to observe a day, to be able to come together as a community, as a family, and be able to say, Lord, you have done good things, and we find our comfort and our rest in you, and we're going to come here and abide in that truth and that reality of who you make us to be. And we will go on in obedience doing that. This is good news for us because we get to enter that rest through Christ who allows us to enter into that rest. Hebrews 4.16 goes on, just after this verse, it goes on to describe Jesus as our great high priest our intercessor, our intermediary, the person who stands between us and God, who reconciles us to God, whose work we benefit from. Jesus worked, his work is ongoing, just as he says, his father is still working and I am also working, right? This work that Jesus did, he did so that we could enter into a rest in his work, that we would rest in what he's accomplished, that we, like Israel, could look back at our redemption, that we could look back at our salvation and find rest and satisfaction and comfort there, that we could set aside these other things which stress us and, and plague our minds and our, and, our, and our emotions and put on Christ. It says, let us then approach, this is Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I don't know about you, but when I, when I look at my job or if I look at the work that I'm doing, a lot of us put our confidence in our work and what we're able to accomplish. I say, well, I know I can accomplish this thing. I'm confident I can accomplish it because I know what I can, I can do or not do uh, 
in a, in a week. I know what's possible for me, right? And then this says, as far as our salvation is concerned, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our great high priest, because of the work that Jesus Christ has done, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of this, we have a person who reconciles us to God, not on account of our works, but on account of his works. We get to rest in him and the things that he's done, and his accomplishments bring us rest. And then Jesus says this pretty point blank. In Mark 2, 23 to 28, he goes so far as to call himself the Lord of the Sabbath. So he says, it says this, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, and this takes some figure in, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So if this Sabbath rest is ours to enter into today, and we enter into it through uh, our confidence in, in what Christ has done, in, in the Lord of the Sabbath, I want to just contrast um, a look at the disciples of John and the Pharisees, right? So the Bible commands them to observe the Sabbath. And part of that observance is resting, <laughs> right? But they have... They have turned Sabbath observance into a work to be accomplished. See how they've turned it around? They said, I, I, will, I will observe this thing. I will be legalistic and, and like diligent to this thing. And when you look at a picture of, of these Pharisees, just in this, in this brief interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and you look at the disciples of John and the Pharisees, who's at rest? Who's, who's actually at rest, right? And he's saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You're, you're violating the commandment to rest on the Sabbath by turning it into this thing. And we do that all the time. Our culture is so driven in this way. We are so oriented toward work and accomplishment and achievement and earning things that we go, I will earn this by working really hard at whatever my job is. And, and you know, the, the Lord has given us work to do. Before there was a fall, before sin entered into the world, God gave Adam and Eve jobs. They had work to do. And, 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 and yes, it became through sweat and through toil and through pain after the fall. That all came in. But the work itself was not a bad thing. God's created us. He's given us purpose. He's given us meaning. He's given us work. And we talked about this in, in, in the Be Fruitful and Multiply. When we work in the direction that God has for us, we can rest. We can finally rest. If, if our work looks like that. But when we work and work and work and we do all these things that, that we try and prove ourselves or we try and go in on our own merits or on our own accomplishments or on our own good deeds and we, and we lose sight of Christ, the rest evades us and, and it slips between our fingers. <coughs> Hebrews 4.10 says, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. We talked a lot about this when we were in the book of Galatians about legalism and what it means to to just receive Christ to put him on and, and to not have to feel like we need to earn and work for that salvation but we do resist this we resist resting from our own works we, we do this and and it's just as much a temptation for me to go about my week and my 
the, the work and preparation that I have and to say, God, it's my responsibility to, to save all these souls. It's my responsibility to, like, to do all of the things that you ought to be doing, right? We take God's work and we make it our work and we try and reproduce it. Just like the Pharisees took the Sabbath and they tried to turn it into their own version of the Sabbath that, that kind of highlighted their own work and effort and good deeds. We do the same thing when we try and do the work that Jesus did already for us. <coughs> There's a real way in which we can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and we can go forward in confidence. And there's a lot less stress involved in life uh, when we do that. When we consider that the means of entering God's rest is through belief, how does this change, how does this change our approach to our work? How does it change the way that we go to work when we think about work in this way? How can we be fruitful at work such that when we look back on the week, we'll see the provision of God, we'll be able to rest in the provision of God? I think if we live in this dichotomous world, right, where we have kind of two lives, where we have our work life and then our, and our Sunday church life, I think it's really hard to be able to enter into that rest. But I believe that when we take this calling, this mission of God very seriously, and we bring that into our work, we begin to work toward our final rest, right? So we're not going to be 100% at rest here. We're working toward this, this reality. But there is a day coming when God's kingdom will be fully established and we will get to rest. We will finally get to put our, our work in that sense aside and we can just get to rest completely in who he is and what he's done. So when we, I'm proposing that when we work toward this, at whatever your job is, whether you're serving coffee or cutting hair, whether you're mechanicking or doing whatever you're doing, when we're working toward these kingdom ends, we get to see the goodness of God. And at the end of the week, we get to go, I know that I'm going to keep turning the wrench next week, but that stuff can stop and pause. And I get to just celebrate what God has done in my week. I get to celebrate how he has worked in my life and what he is doing. And we get to enter into that rest. Most of us are not ever going to run out of work to do. <laughs> you can be retired, you can be wherever you want to be, but you're not out of work to do. And you, you know this as much as I do, um, but we will, we will run out of rest. If, if, if we don't ever enter into this rest, we will run out of rest. I like what uh, Timothy Keller says about this. He has, a, he has a quote, he's talking about kind of this kingdom work in the sense of um, sorry, I just got to find my, my page there. He's talking about kingdom work in, in, in terms of like a tree that's growing slowly and we're, and we're building into this thing, right? So we've been talking about be fruitful and multiply. So we see, <coughs> excuse me, we see a branch starting to bud or we see some fruit maybe starting to grow, right? But our, our longing all the time, we're always looking forward to the, the fullness of this tree, that comes into it. And he says this, he says, let's say that you go into city planning as a young person. Why? You're excited about cities. You have a vision about how a real city ought to be. You are likely to be discouraged because throughout your life, you probably will not get more than a leaf or a branch done. But there really is a new Jerusalem, a heavenly city, which will come down to earth like a bride dressed for her husband. Or let's say that you're a lawyer and you go into law because you had a vision for justice and a vision for a flourishing society ruled by equity and peace. In 10 years, you will be deeply disillusioned because you will find that as much as you're trying to work on important things, so much of what you do is minutia. Once or twice in your life, you may feel like you have finally gotten a leaf out. 
Whatever your work, you need to know this. There really is a tree. Wherever you are seeking, whatever you are seeking in your work, whether it's the city of justice and peace, the world of brilliance and beauty, the story, the order, the healing, it is there. There is a God, there is a future healed world that he will bring about, and your work is showing it in part to others. Your work will be only partially successful on your best days in bringing that world about. But inevitably, the whole tree that you seek, the beauty, harmony, justice, comfort, joy, and community will come to fruition. If you know all this, you won't be despondent because you can get only a leaf or two out in this life. You will work with satisfaction and with joy. You will not be puffed up by success or devastated by setbacks. I think that's a beautiful picture of how we approach our work, how we approach our calling. There is this sense of vocation of a calling, right, where your, your great joy meets the world's great need, right? And God has put a calling on all of our lives, and some of us refuse to lay hold of that calling. We don't we don't act on it, we don't live inside of it, and we don't, we don't lean into it. And so we just, we say, okay, well then I'm, I'm called to just be a mechanic and there's no, there's no way that my faith is going to transfer over into the rest of that kind of work. So that's a separate thing from, from my calling or my vocation. But what is suggested here is that we all have a calling that will be worked out inside of our everyday lives and the conversations that we have in the way that we spend our free time, in the way that we raise our families, in the way that we live, in the way that we pursue this beauty and this justice, this comfort, joy, and community, the way that we build into those things. This is our calling as Christians. This is our calling to, to expose that to the world and, and then to be able to rest and know that what God has made, God will also finish. What God has started, God has also finished and that we get to just participate inside of that with him. I think that we, we become so busy and, and burdened by having to do and do and do that we, we, we fail to enter that rest. But I think if we can enter that rest, we can, show, we can show people a life that's different, a life that says, I just have different priorities, and it's okay. We can be like Israel, who's the only one who's ever been able to, you know, in their time, the only one with the cultural mandate to observe a Sabbath day. But Sunday can be more than church. It can be a day that we can come around this reality, that we can push out into the week and say, we are going to strive ahead in these things, and we know that God has got it. We know that God allows us to enter into that rest. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have, um, you have done the work for us, that you give us purpose and meaning that we get to participate in something bigger than ourselves, that we get to work toward a future hope that we have in you. Thank you that, Christ, you are the Lord of the Sabbath, and that through faith and belief in you, we can, we can participate in that rest, that you don't give a, a heavy load, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, I pray that the weary souls uh, would find rest in you, that we would turn from our, our sort of self-important fantasies about who we think we are and that we would lay hold of who you are and the goodness of your completed work. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.